All right, good morning. Uh, man, Milt, through hikers. Did he say Mexico to Canada? Is that right? Or what was the end point? Canada. Man, we got to, is that right? That's crazy. Man, um, we're going to organize a church trip. Let's go. <laughs> Um, man, I was thinking about that and, and, um, you know, I, I, some of you guys I've been up in the mountains with, in the wilderness with, and a lot of you know what it is when you have somebody from out of town, uh, maybe from down, somebody down South. And I've been here long enough. I guess I can say this, but you have company from out of town and you're going to take them into the mountains and, and they're totally unprepared. I mean, nothing. And you ask them, did you bring a jacket with you? And they literally pull out something like this. Yeah, I'm set. You know, and you're like, oh man, this is gonna be a fun, fun trip. Um, can you imagine going on a trip in the wilderness uh, or if you're going to go on one of these trips, like from Mexico um, to Canada or something like that, how you would prepare and especially in a small bag, what you would need to bring? Um, what is what are the essentials? You are going to face the cold. You're going to face altitude. You're going to face dehydration. You're going to face so much stuff and being prepared for that. It's dead serious. Going off in the wilderness is dead serious. Uh, that's where we're at this morning, actually. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. If you want to open up in your Bible, uh, we're, going to, we're going to begin there. Um, and this is crazy to me when I was studying through this, what the wilderness was and what an important role it plays in the Bible. Did you know that there are 18 plus designations for the wilderness in the Bible? 18 plus, we have the Negev, the Arabah, the desert, the Arab of Shur, Zins, Egypt, Etham, Kedemoth, Sinai, Paran, Ziph, Moan, Judea, Kadesh. The list goes on and on. The wilderness encompasses most of the map. If I brought up a map of what we call uh, the Fertile Crescent, we call it that. But it's just the small rivers that go around it. But most of the land is a wilderness, a desert, a desolate place. And throughout scripture, God leads his people there. Moses knew the wilderness. He spent, did you know this? Moses spent 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness before he led Israel into the wilderness. He shepherded a flock of sheep. Did you know this? For 40 years, he shepherded sheep in the wilderness. And then he goes back and he takes the people and he shepherds them. 40 years in the wilderness. He goes up on Sinai. He's there for 40 days. He comes back down. The people break his covenant. He goes back up on Sinai for 40 days again. Elijah knew the wilderness. Also spent 40 days in the wilderness. Elisha knew the wilderness. David knew the wilderness well. It's where he fell in love with God. And, and God, uh, he begged God, he said, uh, I think it's in, in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 1 Samuel 7, he says this, God, I want to build a house for you. And God says this, I've lived comfortably in the wilderness for some time. I live in a tent. God, God is not uncomfortable in the wilderness at all. In fact, it's a place that God is in love with in Scripture. It's a place where he leads his people. And it says this in Jeremiah. I would lead my people there. I'm just going to read this verse. This is Jeremiah 2.6. A land, it, it, well, it says this in Jeremiah 2.6. I'm going to get to that verse. A, the wilderness is described as a land of deserts, of pits, a land of drought and of deep darkness, a land that no one crossed and no man dwells. And it's in that context where Hosea says, 
Therefore, I am going to allure her, my people. I will lead them into the desert and speak tenderly to them. I want to bring you back to a place where you're going to fall back in love with me. David had this relationship with God that was amazing. And once he lived in a palace, in the very next passage, you see he's on the roof of that palace. And his life starts to just to plummet because he had everything he needed and he had begun to drift away from God. And so God led him back to the wilderness, to the desert, to a place where he could speak tenderly once again and cause him to fall back in love with him. I wonder how many deserts we're walking through today, how many deserts you're living in. There's the wilderness of divorce, the wilderness of loneliness, of cancer, disease. There is a wilderness of great personal loss and a wilderness of depression. The reason it's a wilderness is is because it's a lonely place. It's something that no matter how close you are to someone, it's often something that you can experience and it's just you and it's Satan and it's God. And that is, it's the simplicity of you and Satan and God and it's a place of confrontation, a place where you have to confront Who is my God for me? Who is this Satan? It's a place where you have to confront yourself. Who am I really? It's the wilderness of failure. The wilderness of addiction. And the wilderness of paralyzing guilt. And either you... Or someone you're deeply close to is passing through a wilderness, most likely. And it's painful to watch it happen, but the wilderness is a place of incredible power. It says this in the opening verse of Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness. You ever get excited sometimes when you watch a movie, maybe a movie you've seen several times, and all of a sudden you see that there's a theme in the movie that you didn't know was there? And all of a sudden it hits you, wow, this is amazing. How did I miss this? That happened so many times in Scripture. In Luke, the great theme of the book of Luke and the book of Acts is this message, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It said this with John the Baptist, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. About Mary, these are all taken from the book of Luke so far. About Mary, it said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Of Elizabeth, it said, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Simeon, it says, who was righteous and devout, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And with all of us, it says this, he will baptize you. When John the Baptist is speaking, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This theme of the Holy Spirit and what that is, is so crucial to the book of the book. It's two weeks in a row I've said that. The book of Luke and the book of Acts. This is the theme. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what it's about. 
And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this is a topic very, very sacred to me and it's easy for me to follow this. But the Holy Spirit has been so misunderstood in modern history. The Holy Spirit is looked at either as an exalted angel or a weird part of God that we don't talk about. And the Holy Spirit is not that. When the Holy Spirit came upon the temple and the, the, what we call the Shekinah glory came up on the temple in the Old Testament, nobody said, well, there's God the Spirit that's indwelling the temple and God the Father that's up there. No, nobody spoke like that. This was the presence of God. And so whenever we speak, so people ask me, do you preach on the Holy Spirit? I'm like, that's all we do preach about. That's it. Because it is God. That's what it is. And when we use the term Holy Spirit, we simply mean this, his presence. It's his presence here in and with us. And the power that comes through that presence and what that means for the wilderness, and we're going to be talking about this, and coming out of the wilderness in just a bit. In chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form. Here in verse 1, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. Later, it's going to say he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He spoke in the synagogue, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And, and this idea of the presence of God with him is the major theme that we're going to follow through um, the book of Luke. Landon Saunders, some of you know who that is. Uh, preached a series of messages at ACU lectureships in 1974. Um, I was born that year. Um, but later in life, uh, I was exposed to Landon Saunders in, in his preaching and his teaching. Um, he preached a message called The Wolf in the Wilderness. I have listened to those messages probably 30 times in my life. They have been a bedrock to my faith. Um, because he was speaking to young ministers and talking about what the wolf would be in your life and what the wilderness would mean in your life. And um, I, I'm, it's so hard for me to not completely plagiarize everything he said because I've heard it so many times. But I want to read a quote from what he said that meant a whole lot to me. He said this, The wilderness grows out of your reach for God. It grows out of your relationship with God. It grows out of your struggle to know God. It grows out of your struggle to know yourself. It comes out of an intensely personal relationship with God. And again, it is a place of extreme confrontation where you need to confront who you are and your values. Um, Seth, I loved class this morning. I loved it so much because Seth was sick, okay? And I've had to teach when I'm sick before, and I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth even if I'm not sick. But I loved the message that was there. I loved the text that was there. But I loved the idea that God came and waged war on the gods that competed with his position in the hearts of Israel. Did you know it says this in Exodus 12, verse 12? It says this, I will come and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. He actually says it. It's not just conjecture. He says, I am coming to bring judgment on their gods. When God confronts us in the wilderness, expose your gods to him. He'll wage war on them. He'll wage war on the gods of our lives. It says um, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, 
This is the purpose of the wilderness. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you, in order to know what was in your heart. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now I want, I want you to hear what I'm not saying. This is a, an image of um, uh, the wilderness of uh, Paran. Uh, it's desolate. It's an extremely des- desolate area. This is something Jesus would have been in. These, these types of images, a place where there is nothing. If you experience the wilderness in Colorado, it's about the cold, it's about dehydration, it's about altitude, a lot of these things. If you experience the wilderness in Texas, I'm going to tell you, it's about heat and chiggers and fire ants. And if you don't know what a chigger is, you have no, you have no clue. A chigger will end your, oh man, it's two weeks of intense itching. They're the worst. Preparing for the wilderness is everything. And you think about how you prepare for the wilderness in one place and how you prepare for it in a different place. Um, The one thing that you see in, in the Bible is this. If you go into the wilderness, you desperately need God. And it's the whole purpose of the wilderness. is to teach you and to remind you of this fact. I'm not saying that when disaster strikes your life, God did it. I hope if you know me, I do not believe the Bible teaches that. I also know this. Sometimes when disaster strikes your life, God did it. Okay? Sometimes. But more importantly, every single one of us will face the wilderness. Is going through the wilderness or it's coming. A time where you have nothing and no choice but to depend and trust in your Lord. And the difficulty is this. I know so many people that are facing a wilderness without God. Facing it without Him and choosing to walk away from Him. The wilderness of Judea was full of scorpions and snakes. They were everywhere. You get that from history. You get that from the Bible. That was a big deal. It was full of bandits. It was full of intense heat full of dehydration. It was a place that nobody should have been able to survive. In fact, Jeremiah said that about the wilderness. No one survives there. You can't. And then God causes his people to thrive in a circumstance where they shouldn't have been able to thrive. And now Jesus is led to this place. And it's in this place that he encounters God and he is, his whole journey, he's echoing Israel. He was born and taken to Egypt as they were taken to Egypt, so the prophecy would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. As Israel was taken to the Red Sea, he was taken through the waters of baptism. As they were taken to 40 years in the wilderness, he was taken 40 days in the wilderness. We've asked, how did Jesus, Jesus respond to testing? And we were taught as kids to say, by quoting scripture. And that's a good answer, it's okay. But more importantly, this. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6 through 8. On all three occasions, he's quoting the speech of Moses. And he's talking about the, the exact testing that they faced in the wilderness. Now he's going through the same thing. And he's come to this point where he says, I need you. Man doesn't live by bread, but by God. 
If you were to learn today that you do not have the finances to eat this next month, that you do not have food, you would be concerned. You'd be desperate. If you didn't have water, you would be desperate. If you've learned that you could lose your house, you would become desperate. What if your, your walk with God is in jeopardy? I, 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 and I'm not saying this to hurt or to, to anyone's feelings, to step on anybody's feet, but one of the things that killed me as a youth minister was when a child was being disciplined by their parents, one of the first things to be taken away from them was church. And I'm still confused that sports remained and church was one of the first things to go. And parents would tell me, and I never wanted a conflict, but parents would tell me, well, we're teaching them to keep their commitments. And I was still confused. God is all you need. It's everything. Remember a young girl named Bethany? And I've told this story before, but it's important, I think, in this context that I remind you of this. A young girl, she was one of two twins in our youth group, and she was a star in basketball. She uh, had a choice to go with with us on a youth retreat or to go um, um, to a, a, it was a big basketball game. It was actually a tournament. And she and her twin sister came with us on this tournament. And they brought their two best friends, Jacqueline and Cindy, who were also starters on the basketball team. We brought four out of the five starters on the basketball team for a 5A high school on our retreat. Um, They lost. And the team, these four girls were, were told to sit out of the next three games. They lost the entire tournament because they made a decision to come. Now, some of you might think, wow, that reflects very poorly on the church. Why would you do that? I didn't. They did it. But here's what happened. I walked up to Bethany on the floor of a gym. She was in tears because she was being punished. And the two friends that they brought on our retreat were baptized into Christ. And she said, this is a ball. We're talking about bringing people to the Lord. And you're comparing it to a ball. That girl went on and became a missionary. Because she put values in the right place in their life. Some of us are really confused about our values. What we're teaching our kids. The values we're instilling in our kids. And how important God is in our life. He's not an insurance policy. God is the bread that we eat. He's the air that we breathe. He is life. And every God in this world is going to compete for that and going to convince you that God is not quite as important as sports and not quite as important as your education and not quite as important as all of the other things. And God, by his love and by his grace, will lead you to the wilderness to remind you that man does not live on bread alone, but by an every word that comes from his mouth is life. Then he, Satan tests Christ again. It's a, one of the funniest of the temptations. It's really weird. He says, if you'll bow down before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. 
And Jesus is thinking, don't you understand that I came to take the kingdoms from you? I don't need your permission. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't bow down. I'll worship the Lord and serve him only. And then he finally quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. And he says, I will not put the Lord, my God, Lord our God to the test. I won't do that. And everything that he's doing, he is paralleling Moses in, in Israel walking through the wilderness. And actually what happens next, especially in the book of Matthew, is he goes up on a mountain and goes into the covenant of blessing and cursing that they went through with Ebal and Gerizim. He does the same thing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He's walking through this, but more importantly, he's showing us something that we're going to experience in our own lives, in our own experience. He would say this, And we're going to talk about this next week. When he goes back in the power of the Spirit, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He went into the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And as soon as he comes back, he stands up in a synagogue in Nazareth. The book of Isaiah is handed to him and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What gave him the power to speak that way? He had been to the wilderness. Landon Saunders put it this way. He had brushed shoulders with God. And I caught this. Did you know that on most of the encounters where people are led to the wilderness, when nations are led to the wilderness, Elijah, David, so on, Ezekiel, Daniel, when they're led to the wilderness, it's God is preparing them for something. And they come out of the wilderness in power because they have been disciplined. They have been trained in a life that completely trusts God. And to walk in that power and to come out of the wilderness that God leads you through in this life. And again, I don't want you to look through the pain you're going through. Listen, I know some of you. I know your struggles. I've cried with you. I know what it is to face cancer. I know what it is to face deep loss of people you love. I know what it is. I haven't been through divorce. But boy, I've been through those tears. I know what it is to be in these circumstances, and I don't want to say this in a, in a way that, hey, this is just a wilderness in your life. I know how serious it is. I know how painful it is. But listen, to go into that wilderness without God, that's disaster. It will consume you. You go into it with God and the power of his spirit, and he carries you through anything. And then you come out of that wilderness and you go into wherever he's leading you for Christ. He led him into Galilee in the power of the Spirit to bring him into a place where I don't need anything but God. And that has set me free to live a life in power. I've said this before, but there's an old Irish proverb said this. The man who has God and everything else is no wealthier than the man who has God and nothing else. To have God and everything else is to have nothing more than that. To have God is to have everything. Everything else is just stuff. So I want to say a prayer um, for you guys. And and I think it was Carrie, it might have been David, that months ago um, brought up Ephesians 3.20. 
And there's a verse that I kind of want to focus on again today, and I wanted to close with this prayer. I have this long bullet list. In fact, it was 60 to 70 points of scriptures talking about what the Holy Spirit does in your life. And I decided to go ahead and get rid of all of the bullet points because I I decided it's only one thing, one simple thing that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, does in our lives. It's to provide for our every need. It's to be with us and to make put us in a place where we need nothing because he over blessing overflows in our lives. It says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is working within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. I can't remember who preached that message, but I loved the end of it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The final desert, the final wilderness that we'll pass through is death itself. A place that is so incredibly lonely. The song, Be With Me, Lord, closes with that theme. Be with me, Lord. Um, And now the words aren't going to come to me. In the hour of my departure... For worlds unknown, my God be with me then. Um, it's the scariest and loneliest wilderness, loneliest wilderness there is. And Christ came and he conquered that as well. And he says, I'm there. I'll meet you there. And I'll carry you through that as well. I want to lift you up in prayer this morning. And if you're here and you are passing through a wilderness... And you're in a time where you're like, this, this is something no one can understand. My wife can't understand this. The people, This is something that is deeply personal to me. And I'm going through a period of pain. I want to lift you up in prayer. And I hurt for the pain that you're in. But I want you to know God causes people to thrive in the wilderness. He causes manna to come down from heaven. He causes water to gush from rocks. And he's perfectly comfortable there. And he will take care of you. But I pray that you go there in the power of the Spirit. And I pray that you'll come out in the power of the Spirit. Uh, my God, I, um, I, I, just, I really just want to lift up your people to you. Uh, God, I, I, I guess in my own spirit, I'm, I'm, I get concerned that we are so far from this, that I am so far from this mindset. That God, religion to most people today is, is the way you sing songs and it's something very commercial. Um, but the pain and the reality of the wilderness is something everyone in these walls or outside of these walls is, is so familiar with. And God, I love you for revealing purpose to it. Uh, for revealing your power in it. And God, I just want to ask your blessing over those that are close to our hearts and over, God, those of us that know this so well, that you will care for us, that you will provide for us the way you provided for Christ himself, that he went in it with power and he walked out with power because of one thing, it was just your presence, that you are everything. And God, I I ask that for for Meadowlark. I pray, God, that as as a small church body that we would walk in humility, that we would not exalt ourselves over anyone, 
That God, that we would not try to be the best show out there or anything like that, but God, we would be a demonstration of what it is to walk in faith. That um, as Christ went out in the power of the Spirit, that your Spirit on us is recognized and it is seen. Um, That we are a people that walk with you, that are in desperate need of you. And I ask God that you would bless us. until we are sitting at your throne and we are worshiping you together. God, I love you so much for giving us people to go through this journey with. And I just pray, God, that we would never leave you. I pray that we would beg for your presence every day the way Moses begged for your presence. Uh, God, that without you, we are nothing. And we're just a silly group of people singing. But with you, uh, God, it's everything. You are life. I pray, God, that those that are listening to this, that are clinging to what is worthless, that you would wage war on those gods, that you would wage war today on the God of pride, the spirit of arrogance, the spirit of division, the spirit of greed. I pray that you would wage war on the spirit of of even guilt that can consume us and that you'd reveal your love and your grace. I love you so much, Father, for the way you speak to us through the simplicity of the wilderness. I love you, Father. It's in Christ we come before you. Amen. Let's worship our God.